Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, joined by James Benj, of course, which can only mean one thing, it is time for this week's Inside Arsenal Extra Time, and it's been quite a crazy week in the world of the Premier League, probably a week that you'd say describes exactly why the Premier League is just the best and most exciting football product on the planet right now, and everyone wants to watch it. It was a crazy week with some unbelievable games, not least Arsenal's game at Luton Town. James, how are you doing, mate? You had a good week? You've been enjoying the football? Uh, I have until tonight when I'm at Tottenham West Ham, which I feel like is, well, I mean, it's it's Tottenham West Ham's normally quite a good game, isn't it? Even at 8.15 on a Thursday night. I mean, it's proper Europa League vibes, isn't it? Which, as you know, I enjoy. Um, did you watch United-Chelsea? I watched bits and pieces of it, but I was trying to get my kids to sleep pretty unsuccessfully last night which uh was hampering my ability to watch the football annoyingly but uh, I did well i mean i would imagine that today. i would imagine that try, like you know trying to get two sort of amped up children to rest is probably a little bit like what it was like to try and manage uh chelsea against manchester united that was a dreadful game of football and therefore so so watchable and so good United, United had an XG of about four point something, didn't they? Yesterday, it just run, must have just been running through Chelsea. I mean, I, I saw the highlights and I saw how many chances they had, but what, what was going on there? Is Chelsea wide open? Yes, completely wide open. I mean, you have um, two supremely talented midfielders in in Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez, but it seems like they don't really work together if you don't have Conor Gallagher next to them. I like Conor Gallagher, but you know what I mean. Uh, Mark Correa at right back tells you a little bit. Uh, one day, I think we'll sort of talk in more depth about Mikhailo Mudrik. Because um, I've, I've said this on Twitter, I don't understand how what Arsenal saw in him, frankly. Like, yeah, I've, I've always been of the, I've always been of the belief that if he'd have come to Arsenal, it would have been a very different story. But I have to admit, the longer this goes on, yeah. and the more I watch him, I am beginning to doubt myself and think massive bullet has been dodged with that one. Initially, I was just like, no, it's just because he's gone to Chelsea and, that you know, they are Chelsea and they're a mess and all that. And if he'd come to the, come to Arsenal and that sort of environment was Inchenko there and under Arteta's guidance, that he'd be, he'd be a very different player. But, I, yeah. I'm he could be a very different player and still be terrible. That's how yeah. bad he is. I'm struggling to to sort of keep hold of that belief the more the more it goes on because he, he is really, really struggling. Um yeah, I mean, that was, that was a crazy game. There were so many crazy games. I mean, we'll talk about Villa a little bit later on because we're going to have to spend quite a bit of time talking about Saturday's game, which just looks bigger by the day at the moment. And, of course, you've got so much narrative around it with Unai Emery and, and all that. But, I mean, that was a fantastic win for them against Manchester City. The type of the type of drubbing, really, you just don't see. I know it was only 1-0, but the type of drubbing you just don't see with Manchester City when you look at the stats and how that game panned out. But, I mean, Arsenal's game on Tuesday night, you know, I was there. It was just 
just a crazy, crazy night. And um, there was a lot to like. There was a lot not to like at times, but that was what the Premier League was all about. Although <laughs> saying that, it generally didn't feel like a Premier League game. It felt like a cup match. It felt completely yeah. like the stadium, everything about it, walking in there. Like the press room, right next to the press room was the laundry room. And it was just, I was like, this is, this is just like low league. It's non-league. This is what I was used to when I was covering Maiden and United as a junior, as a reporter at the Maiden Advertiser going to stadiums like that. And everything about it just felt like a cup game being sat in the press box right in the middle of the fans, like literally right in the middle of the fans. And um, the atmosphere that they created, it was just a brilliant night. Absolutely fantastic night with so much drama. And of course, you know, had it finished 3-3, I probably would have viewed it slightly differently, but with the 4-3 with the win late on it was just a yeah crazy night just one that sort of encapsulated why we love this mad game so much i mean i completely agree with you on the cup tie feels i mean i was supposed to be there with you but uh, other things came up and so i was sort of on the on the tube and i mean it almost even though it was a tuesday evening it had that sort of saturday afternoon feel for me and i'm sure many arsenal fans have sort of you know, you you if you're not watching the game, you're out and about. You just sort of look down. You go, what, what, what? Like, especially you know, you, you get the you see the initial, um, you know, twice you thought, oh, Arsenal got it in the bag here, and seeing your tweets, and then eventually watching the game afterwards. At halftime, you're sort of like, yeah, a weird thing happened at a set piece, but it, it's fine. Arsenal will should should cruise through the gears. Boy, did they make it hard for themselves, and um, I'm sure we will pick on some of the the things there but equally you know I, I i caught the final 20 or so minutes and actually there was this sort of quite strange sensation where i felt like arsenal had no doubt the goal was coming it didn't even remind me of um bournemouth southampton villa those games last season where there was a little bit of sort of desperation and throw the kitchen sink at it and let's see what works and sometimes it paid off sometimes it didn't it just felt like they were like yeah it'll come It'll come. Erdegaard, you know, was totally at ease, totally controlling the game, perfectly happy to pass it back, even if it would infuriate the away fans. Um, delivered it in style. I, I, it's very, you know, obviously, if you're talking about a potential Premier League title challenge, you don't want to be a team that, that needs 97 minutes to beat Luton. But it, there's something about the late goals, and you'd rather be a team that scores late goals than not, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. When when Havertz scored, and it was half an hour ago, I thought that Arsenal were definitely going to win this. They're going to score. And I never really started to doubt that until we got into stoppage time. But once it went past 90, I thought, oh, actually, this isn't going to happen. But it Because it, it always felt like it didn't. It kind of felt like the Luton fans felt like it, it was it was coming as well. You could see there was mm. Luton players were dropping deeper and deeper and the fans were trying to get them to get out. And there was just that atmosphere of there's a goal coming here, there's a goal coming. And but I think it was when Havertz put that header over on about 87 minutes when um, I think it was Inchenko stood that cross up mm. and Havertz put it over. I was like, oh, they're, they're not going to get a better chance than that one in the in the remaining minute. I don't think they did either because I, don't, I think that was an <laughs> no. easy chance than De- Declan Rice's one. Um, and, and yeah, a fair play to them. You know, they, they, they kept going. And like you said, these, are way, these late goals, although it's not great for the heart rate and like, you want to be winning games far more comfortably than that. They do just add that extra little bit of belief of, you know, you keep going, we can get this goal. And Arsenal really feel that. It's obvious they feel that now because they've done it so many times this season, last season. that They know if they keep going, they can get another chance and they can score a goal. And we saw how successful Manchester United were back in the day because of that and that belief that they could just keep going until the ball eventually would go in. And I think that that not only does that sort of help Arsenal and their mentality, but I think the teams they're playing against as well know that, this is a team that score late goals. We can't, and I think sort of mentally that probably plays into it a little bit as well, that they just, uh, that no one will ever feel safe playing this Arsenal team, I don't think, because they know they've got the ability to strike late and keep going. It was just a, it was just a fabulous night, honestly. It was, it was, I haven't, although they put me through it as a fan and as a reporter, because you had the classic rewrite once the, the goal yeah. went in. Um it was one of those games you came out of it and you just think, God, oh, I love football. It's so bloody good when when things like that happen. And I'm sure all Luton fans leaving the stadium <laughs> weren't thinking those exact those exact words. But um yeah, it was a it was a really enjoyable night of Premier League football. And I think it's just capped what's been a really great week of Premier League football. 
all round. There's been so many exciting games, so many goals. And they've got they've got City at home, haven't they, this weekend? It won't be easy, honestly. They haven't lost a game Strange at home more than a goal. Yeah, yeah. They, they did the same to Liverpool, didn't they? Yeah, well, Liverpool needed a late, late equaliser in that game, didn't oh. they? I mean, Tottenham, Tottenham, to be fair, that was a good one nil win for Spurs because they were they had ten men for a lot of time, and they still. They, I think Tottenham was a little bit different. It didn't, um, although I didn't watch it, but I don't think Luton absolutely banged the door down yeah. to try and get an equaliser after Tottenham scored. Um, but they're, they're going to cause teams problems, you know. They've got real belief about them. They play with real intensity. They're brilliant from set pieces. Um, as Arsenal found out, although you know Arsenal didn't help themselves in that regard. Um, but yeah, no, they'll cause teams problems. I think they're I think they're a good addition to the Premier League this season. I think ultimately they will go down, but I think they're a, they're a good addition to the Premier League. You know, you you had some teams that come up that have just been cannon fodder and and not great and haven't really added anything. But I think just that stadium for a season being there, that noise, that atmosphere, I think it just may it just brings something a little bit different to the Premier League and I think that's really important at times in this sort of product when it's all about the sparkling new stuff and the money and everything like that when you get a story like this and you get a team like this in a stadium like that I think it it adds a lot and I think that probably sort of all added up to my feeling of what a great night of football it was to uh to be there but um I mean I, I don't want to I don't want to actually talk about Ryan and Ramsdale too much because it, it's gone that's gone on and I've spoke about it on my shows already this week yeah. as well. And I know people are getting bored of it as well. And look, Raya is going to be in goal at the weekend against Villa. I'd be surprised if that's not the case. Um, but defensively, more more just talking about the goalkeeper, defensively, Arsenal are short now, mm. I think. Tommy Asu's injury, we know, is a pretty bad one. Potentially could be up to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Even if it's best case scenario, you're looking at a month, potentially. And then he'll be heading off to the Asia Cup anyway. So, you know... It, we're basically going to be about Tommy Asu till mid-February, almost. You, you, although, you would think if you add in the Asia Asia Cup. Although I suppose, I, I mean, it's quite rare that we we run into these sort of circumstances, isn't it? But they do sometimes happen with Afcons. I don't know the answer to this. Um, if Tommy Asu is sort of injured and can't join up with the Japan squad, can he play for Arsenal during the Asia Cup? Oh, I mean, I my also he's so good. Um, I know he's not like, you know, Japan have a lot of good players, but he's he's so good and so valuable. I would presume that if he's sort of fit to play in the knockout rounds of that tournament, Japan yeah. would would take him anyway. So okay. well, I it's guess what they did in the World Cup. It's what they did in the World Cup in Qatar, wasn't it? He wasn't fit at the start oh, yeah. of that, but they still took him, and then he went and he started. They started playing him as they got deeper into the competition. So mm. I think it would be exactly the same. Like you said, he's so important. He's such a key figure. You know, off the pitch as well. That I think whatever happens, he'll go. They'll they'll take him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. yeah, you are looking at a scenario, with and they're going to go Arsenal. quite far. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mid February potentially for for Arsenal to get Tommy Asu back now, and that's on top of the timber injury. And you know, what do you think in terms of Arsenal's priorities for January now? Because we're really close. So, I mean, what's the date today? The seventh of December. It's just a few weeks away now. The January transfer window, and we've discussed it on previous shows before in terms of what Arsenal's priority could be. It was certainly shaping up to be midfield. Do you think that might, this injury to Tommy Asu now, might change Arsenal's thinking in terms of the January transfer window and the need to, to bring in reinforcements, even if potentially it might be a, a short-term, you know, even a loan option, something like that? Do you, do you think suddenly defence is becoming a lot more important when, when it comes to January? Yeah, I certainly think it might, but I think you're right that it's a loan option because... It's a, it's a really weird calculus where at fully fit, I think, you know, there's half an argument Arsenal are one short in defence. But, you know, a, a fully fit squad of Timber, Kivior, Zinchenko, I'm just going through, you know, right back, full back, White, Tomiyasu, etc. and the centre backs. I don't think that needs much. No. And, you know, the, the good players there are not easy to come by. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a loan. Potentially, there's an argument for bringing forward some summer business there. Because the, the grey area here is, here is Arsenal need Tomiyasu right now. Mm. And they'll need him for, you know, he'd be perfect for for Leon Bailey, for Mo Salah, for those opponents that Arsenal are going to run up to it against. And when we talk about Villa, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on, on Kivior versus uh, Zinchenko for that game. But then you get to January and you've got the FA... I mean, they, they, they play as well. They play on um, New Year's Eve, don't they? Away at Fulham. Yeah. Lovely. Lo- I mean, that would be perfect New Year's Day game, but 
lovely little walk in the park that um on new year's eve but then january you've got fa cup third round against liverpool two weeks off and then you're back into the premier league against i think is it forest it's a fairly easy january so kind of by the time you get to a place where you can add bodies to your squad the worst of it's probably over um mm-hmm. I suppose a lot of it depends on when Partey comes back from AFCON, or indeed if he comes back before. I don't think that's particularly likely that they'll that he play more than two or three games before AFCON, and that even that is the sort of ambitious view of it. You know, it's it, it's a tough thing where you you really don't want to be committing long term money to solve a problem that might only kind of emerge in those games against Forest and uh, whoever comes next. Yeah, it's Palace. So, there's, there's two Premier League games in January, basically. You've got Palace yeah. on the 20th and then the Forest on the on the 30th. So, um, and Ben White be... is a bit of a, he's a bit of an iron man, isn't he? Like, if someone's, if you said to, to me, pick a player that, you, you know, you think can play every single game, one every three days for a month, it's Ben White would be right up there. He would if he hadn't just been suffering with this injury that yes. they've been nursing him through. Um, yeah. Mikel says that he's now fine from that, which obviously we've got to take take that on face value. And if that's the case, then then that's great. But I think it is a, it is a worry, but I, I get exactly what you mean. I think it's really hard to go out and spend big money on someone in January just for defensive cover for a couple of injuries that, you know, potentially Timber might be back, you know, best case scenario, I don't know, March. Yeah. Um, and then Tommy... Certainly, mid Feb, you would hope he'll come back from the Asia Cup and it'll be fit. It's, it's it is a really difficult one, isn't it? It's always you you want another body in, but can you really spend big money to get a t- unless they've got someone in mind who they really want in the summer, like you said, and they can fast track it and they think like, we we're going to do this anyway in the summer. This isn't going to muck up our plans because he was part of our plans anyway. Let's just try and get him in in January, much like they did with Kivior, because that was they, they fast tracked mm. that, you know, Kivior in January, that wasn't the initial plan going into January. And then they decided to to move it up. I mean your friend here. Um yeah, no. He's being linked now. He's actually being linked. I send it to you. I think F- F- Romano has said it, Arsenal are interested in well, I can't back that up at all with anything. But uh you know maybe you're well right. I mean maybe I mean the man to go for. Would like Leverkusen let him go mid mid season though? You know, he's certainly a person who could give you a bit of an option at right back. Although, like you said, he seems to be better suited in more attacking sense than a right back. I'd love it. I mean, I certainly get the sense there are a few people out there who are just sort of throwing some names at the wall and, and making sure that they can say they said something. It made me laugh. Uh, he's, been linked. he's been linked, and Paulinho from Fulham now as well being linked so there's basically two of the two players that we both suggested now uh now are being linked so uh yeah that wouldn't be too bad yeah if there's just a sort of 70 million round the back round the sofa round the back yeah, yeah. sure fine yeah. i mean palinia no thanks uh, at any stage uh increasingly vehemently i'm like no 29 no thanks um i just i mean are either of those players that I mean, Frimpong obviously I think should be, but I, I just don't know that they're players that 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 you'd want for the long haul. I'd be fairly open to, um, you know, sort of old man centre back comes in the twenty twenty four version of when Arsenal got Sol Campbell, and he yeah. came and played. How many games did he play that season? Quite a few actually in the end, wasn't it? Because uh, this was Arsene Wenger's Arsenal centre backs, so there were always four of them injured at any one time. Um, I, I mean, I. I don't know who the name... I, I couldn't name a name there. I mean, I'm, my head immediately goes to Sevilla, you know, a, a Jesus Navas, Sergio Ramos. <laughs> Just I mean, someone, basically, that can c- could come in and plug a gap for three... That you could sign on January the 1st. I think it's more of a fullback, though. Surely it'd be more a of fullback, a fullback. yeah, yeah. So, like, Navas, but I'm plucking that out of the air with no reporting, no idea what Sevilla's plans for him would be. No, I can't. No, even real idea how good he is anymore. But a sort of player that you could could bung on the bench and and trust. I mean, we've not said the Cedric word either. There is, you know, no, there are two right backs at Arsenal Football Club. There are, but I think it's pretty obvious that Cedric's not going to get too much of a look in. Although he'll probably play in PSV next week. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think if you're going to do something in January, it's got to be a, it's got to be a fullback and it's got to be a versatile player who can fill in in a few options because that's what Mikel does when he's and they do it clearly doing when they're signing these players. And yeah, I do feel they're a little bit light. I have to say now, I, th- I think that I, I'm concerned. I mean, a Ben White injury now would be bordering on catastrophic for Arsenal with Tommy Asu out for for this amount of time. You know, I don't know. I just don't know what they would do in that case. It would have to be. I was going to ask you. <laughs> I mean, could you play Kivior? People have said, can you play Kivior at right back? You could, but I think that limits you massively. Um, you know, he's you know playing a wrong sort of Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. Obviously, Thomas Part is an option, but he's not even fit at the moment. Mm. So yeah, I just think if if something were to happen to Ben White and Touchwood, it doesn't. But if something was to happen, then Arsenal are going to really struggle. And I think that has to be something that right now at Colney, they're sitting down and discussing and trying to work out what there is that they could potentially do to limit that danger should should something like that happen. I think it's got to be a priority for them. One other name to mention. Um, I don't know. I've never seen him play, but everyone around the academy does say does actually say really good things about uh, Rule Walters. We've seen yeah. him on the bench a lot uh, under Mikel Arteta. I would... I mean, I would love to see him get serious minutes, possibly even a start against PSV because he ticks a lot of those boxes you mentioned. I believe he can play right back, left back and centre back if need mm-hmm. be. You know, I don't know if I would pick him ahead of Cedric. Um, obviously, I don't know Walters well enough to make a judgment call on that. But in well, a pin- I mean, bench- got- he was on the bench on Tuesday night. Yeah, and you've got um, Brooke Norton Cough- Cuffey might be the other argument to bring back in January. He is a, he, you know, he is now playing regularly yeah. in the championship, but it's, it's over a year he's been playing in the championship. I mean, that, that to me is another, you know, there are, there are things you can do that I would probably put ahead of spending any long-term money just to, to fix it, a position yeah. that won't be a problem in, in August of next year. No, I agree. The worst thing they could do is to panic and just and, and sign someone and spend money for the sake of it. I'm not sure financially they are in that position where they could do that anyway. But yeah, I think if you're going to do something in January, it has to be something that is well thought out. If it's not just a loan, then it has to be something that is well thought out and is absolutely not a uh, not a sort of panic move. I think that could be the worst thing. I've got a um, comment. Let me just flick through right at the end here. Someone was talking about... Uh, Louis here says, really annoyed to hear about Tommy's injury. Left-back situation in big games had worried me for a while and he's really alleviated those concerns this season. I wonder if you think we will look to bolster the defensive numbers in January as well as the midfield. Long-term timber will obviously be there, but short-term we feel very short now. I reckon we're one injury away from real trouble. So this is basically exactly what we've just been talking about. Mm. Um, and it is that... It, the thing is with that Tommy injury, it is just at the worst time. Like you said, you know, he definitely starts this weekend if he's fit. Definitely starts mm. at Anfield on the 23rd if he's fit. You know, then you've got Liverpool again at the start of January in the FA Cup. And then again at the start of February in the league. You know, <laughs> yeah. Three times against Liverpool in the next in the next sort of two months. And he'd be playing all those games if he's fit. We know we saw the success he had against Salah last time in that 3-2 win last year when, when Arteta went, sort of made that tactical move and it worked really, really well. And um, he does just alleviate those concerns. And we are... I think the biggest compliment you could play Tommy this season, pay Tommy this season was he was he was really pushing both fullbacks mm. to be first choice, you know, and that says an awful lot about the performances he's been putting in and how strong he's been and how solid he's been. And there was certainly a case of for the left backs, especially, we were we were basically at a stage now where you were one was a depending on who you were playing, one yeah. was a Tommy game, one was a Zinchenko game. And that's you know, he Tommy had pushed himself into that there wasn't just a first choice anymore it was basically two players for one spot and one of them a play depending on the opposition and that I think that says a lot about how impressive he'd been uh in the last in well since the start of the season but you know and this does sort of factor into the bigger conversations about Tommy Asu and the talks on his contract and I'm not saying I, I think he really deserves a new contract and I would want to keep him around because you don't get that level of versatility and a and a player who, as far as I understand it, is totally understands he might be the sort of fifth defender, but knows he'll get the game time to shine. I think this is four calf issues mm. in uh, in in recent years. It's it's now you kind of you basically have to factor that into your plans for every season. 
the best predictor of injuries in the future is injuries in the past. And I, and I think we're going to have to sort of work off the assumption that Tommy Asu will be in and out of, of the team in terms of availability going forward on that next contract as well. It's something that Edu and Arteta or Edu needs to, to consider when we're talking about what a, a fair wage is and how you make sure that's uh, that you're, you've insured yourself against, you know, frequent spells of six weeks on the sidelines. I, it's I, horrible saying that because obviously I'm not a doctor. I don't have access to his medical history, but what, what I do know from having covered football for a long time is people that get calf injuries or hamstring injuries, they tend to repeat a lot and um, it's a real shame. It's going to require careful management. And, you know, when you have someone like Zinchenko in the squad as well, that maybe struggles with a heavy load of minutes, it's something you've got to, you've got to have it in the back of your mind going forward and going into the summer and into January. Yeah, 100%. In the show I did earlier on today, someone asked that exact question. They're like, would you, you know, as good as Tommy is, do you think he really should be getting a new contract or would you would you accept a good bid for him now because of these injury issues? And I'm still at the stage that I think he absolutely warrants a new contract. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure he's going to get a new contract. Those talks are going well from all accounts. Um, but... It is something, like you said, that I think has to be factored in because history shows that he will be out for a pretty significant amount of time throughout a season with at least two or three of these type of injuries. It just it just happens. And I can't see it stopping because, as you mm. said, you know, past injuries are the best indicators of future injuries. And that is uh, that's going to be the case. And it is a shame for Tommy. So I saw his, uh, his Instagram post yesterday saying how he, he hates these injuries, he hates being injured. And it must be so frustrating, especially for him when you think of, you know, he's worked so hard to get himself back fit, to get himself back in the side. And then, you know, he's having a really good run of things. And then this one happens to him again. It must be so frustrating for him. Did you see what Endo said about him? No. It's quite interesting. I think this was um, someone at goal. Uh, spoke to Endo, Endo, who's just launched a sort of, what I believe is a sort of self-help book or something like that. And they sort of said, what's the what's the one bit of advice you'd give for Tomiyasu? And Endo, who obviously, I guess, has played a lot with him with the Jap- Japanese national team, said that Tomiyasu needs to sort of stop taking things quite as hard as he does. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't think, I mean, it's obviously not got any real relevance to his injuries, but it's, I mean, then when you see him sort of really, I read those quotes, he seemed absolutely devastated. Um, I think he's a player that feels a real, you know, feels the highs and feels the lows, which maybe is what makes him so popular in the dressing room as well. But yeah, I think he'll be really hurting now. And, and that's a shame. Yeah, he is what he does. He beats himself up over everything, Tommy Asu. I remember some of the interviews he's given after games where he's just like yes. really down on his performances when he's played really, really well. I remember Sam Dean, uh, you know, went and spoke to him I was after one of the World Cup games over in Qatar and he was so down on himself in that interview with, with Sam. And, you know, when we spoke to him, when we spoke to him after one of the Europa League games, we had quite a good game or Champions League games. He was really like self-critical. Yeah. Enjoy it, mate. You're really good. Yeah, I think he's, he's definitely very critical on himself. Um, but yeah, fantastic player. And uh, fingers crossed he's back sooner rather than later. Right. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's turn our attentions to this weekend, Unai Emery against Arsenal. Um, we'll talk about the match itself soon. 
Um, but in terms of Unai, what what you know, I'm putting it on the spot here. But how do you how do you <laughs> look back on him and Arsenal and that time? You know, what's your kind of overriding memories of of it all? Uh, I think anyone thrust into Unai's situation uh, was d- doomed to fail. Um, or at least, yeah, no, I, th- I don't think anyone, even the very best managers in the world, could have navigated the situation that, that Unai Emery found himself in. It was a squad that, that, as brilliant as Arsene Wenger was, it was a squad that needed a little bit of a kick up the arse. Um, too many players had been allowed to coast. He tried that, but I think sometimes he lacked the courage of his convictions. You know, it's hard to separate Emery and Ozil sort of as a as a as a tandem because you know I I I frankly almost think the minute he sort of went back on his early decision to sort of sideline Ozil to leave him out of the team, it all became about that that battle for power. Once he lost that one, then I think it became really hard for him to control a dressing room full of such big characters and big characters that weren't always performing as well as they might have. I don't mean Ozil there. I mean, maybe someone like Granit Xhaka. A lot of this comes down to, to communication issues, doesn't it? I mean, we how many times did we hear people around the club just sort of say, no one knows what, what Emery really wants? I think to an extent that was because he wanted to coach the team but there was this yawning void that Arsene Wenger had filled. There were too many people battling to fill it above him. Mislintat, Sanye, um, Ivan Gazidis for about 15 minutes until he sort of left Arsenal in the lurch. Uh, and it just was that he, he just couldn't, you know, Arsenal had been so used to a manager that was the figurehead of the club and they appointed a head coach that just wanted to stay on the training ground that just, how many times did he say, I just want to be a coach. Mm. Don't ask me these questions. And it's sort of like, Unai, welcome to England, mate. You're the only person that's going to answer these questions ever. Um, I think it was a, a, a tough job that I, I wouldn't say he did very well. He's obviously learned from that and, and done brilliantly at Villa, but yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't get a handle on, he couldn't manage up. He couldn't manage down. Some good moments on the pitch, weren't there? Um, definitely moments where Aaron Ramsey was phenomenal, but uh, I wouldn't say I look back on it very fondly. I mean, I, I look back on it with a sort of amusement of someone that, uh, you know, was really on the beat day in, day out then and, and thought I was going mad throughout the whole summer of 2020, whichever, mm. 2019. Weird yeah, was time, really, wasn't it? It was, it, was a, it was a really tough gig for him. Like you said, I think anyone following that sort of the post the immediate post finger era it was going to be really really difficult and the fact there was a huge power vacuum at the club above him as well and people battling for position like you said Ivan doing a runner pretty much straight away um and everyone sort of wrestling for power it was just a really difficult situation for any manager and um you know I I don't look back on that time fondly at all I really it was kind of the lowest of the low almost at times, especially that second season. First season, he did a good job. He very nearly got Arsenal top four, which would have been a really good job. Um, missed out right at the end. Then obviously he had the horror of the Europa League final, which was a, a very tough one to deal with. And then it all just, the wheels just came off completely in the second yeah. the second season. And, and he just didn't have it in him to sort of, to wrestle control back and, and, and get the team, you know, right the ship again. And, you know, there was no doubt it was the right decision to to get rid of him. That had to happen. It should have happened far earlier than it did. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, that's no, and it's no slant on him. You know, he's a fantastic manager. He was a fantastic manager before Arsenal and he's a fantastic manager now. And you just have to look what he's doing at Villa and the job he's doing there. And, um, and he is a great manager and his record speaks for itself. Look at the trophies he's won. Look at the big trophies he's won, the European trophies he's won. You know, he's a, He's a very, very good manager. But um, yeah, there's going to be lots of talk in the build up to this game on Saturday about Emery and Arsenal and how, you know, I've already seen some of the stuff coming out. It's like very revisionist and you know, Arsenal, you know, Emery proving Arsenal wrong and all that. They didn't, it, whatever he does now and whatever he does in the future will not prove Arsenal wrong. It was the right decision to get rid of him. They absolutely had to get rid of him. That couldn't continue. The whole thing was broken. It was so obvious. And I've spoken about it so many times before, that day before he got fired when we were at the training ground watching the open training session before the Frankfurt game. 
And I mean, you you literally had to be there for 20 seconds to see the whole thing was completely untenable. And and he had to go. I mean, it's since was proven, you know, within a a few days, we found out that the decision had already been taken before that. And he was already, he'd already been fired, basically, but they just didn't announce it until after the Frankfurt game. He didn't know, obviously, but they'd flown off. They'd flown off to America early on in a week to to get the permission from the Cronkies to to fire him anyway. So they'd already taken the decision, but it was so I mean, and, and to give you a sense of how hard, because um, I know for a fact you got this, um, you you were hearing the same things. To give you a sense of how 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 hard it was for Emery, because there was so much chaos above him. I think it was maybe two or three. It was the international break before, and wasn't that the first game after the international break, the Southampton draw? Um, the dates get a little bit muddled, but certainly there had been next to no time after an inter- the final international break of the year. Um, and in that time, I, I was told, and I, I believe you were told as well, Arsenal are not a sacking club. We don't sack managers. We want to give them time. And actually, genuinely, that's what was sort of going through people's heads. And then within one game, everything, you know, every, they were like, oh, well, I guess we are a sacking club. Um, there was just so little like, leadership above Emery. I, that's why I kind of think no one could really have done that job, but it doesn't mean he did. A, he did a good job. No, but they didn't. They didn't help him at all. You know, they went and chucked Nicholas Pepe at him when he'd been pushing them for Wilfred Zaha. And who would have made it? You know, who would have made a much bigger impact had they signed yeah. that summer, Zaha or Pepe? I mean, it's just, you know, it, it could have been completely different if if Emery had got his hands on Zaha. There, we saw what Zaha did in the Premier League for the next few years. After that, it was one of the most unplayable attackers there was, and he could have made a huge impact at Arsenal. And that's who. Emery pushed for, but they they gave him they gave him the complete opposite player, <laughs> basically, and um, so that's the sort of thing he had to work with as well. So the, the, those above him absolutely did not help him whatsoever, um, and they deserved just could as have been different the... if he didn't play uh, El Nen. Was it an El Nenny Gwendozi double double pivot against Palace with Mustafi at the back? I remember. I remember... He was throwing David games Louise, left, David right, Louise center. came in. Double David Louise came in as the double pivot in the Frankfurt game, yeah. but then got injured before half time, so that experiment <laughs> got scrapped as well. Oh, that was that Frankfurt game is just one of the worst memories of my whole Arsenal following life. It was just that was so that was just rock bottom, absolutely rock bottom. Um, but yeah, there was you know Emery. It didn't work. It absolutely didn't work and he had to go. But, you know, those above him didn't help him in the slightest in that. And I think anyone would have struggled in that position. And I'm really happy to see him doing so well at Villa because he was a genuinely really nice guy who really did try. The communication was a big issue, a big issue with us, with the players, with staff. Um, And ultimately, I think that really cost him as well because there was just no relationships built up with anyone because everyone just found it really, really hard. And I think that didn't help him at all. But, um, you know, you see, look at what he's doing for Villa now. I mean, that's such a fantastic performance for them against Manchester City. Absolutely. And it's going to be intriguing to see how this goes at the weekend. Of course, he's not going to be up against Mikel on the touchline anyway, <laughs> because of, you know, this awful, horrendous, disgraceful celebration that Mikel Arteta did against Luton where he had the cheek to celebrate a 97th minute winner for his team by running around basically in a circle yeah. um and that has been described as excessive celebrating and uh and he's now gonna miss the game for picking up his third yellow card of the season which is a um which is a shame do you think that is really gonna have too much of an impact I mean I'm sure we all remember that Manchester City game when he was at home with COVID watching it on the screen and Albert Stoivenberg took took the game and you know, that first half performance was the best performance Arsenal had produced for about two years in that, and Arteta wasn't there. And so do you, do you really do you think it's going to make too much of an impact, given the fact he is actually there and he is allowed in the changing room before, at half-time and after the game as well? Yeah, like you say, sort of like you've kind of hinted out there, next to none whatsoever, I think. You know, it's not like, uh, I mean, Albert Stoivenberg and, and Carlos Quest and all that are, are very at ease with taking... Uh, taking opinions and suggestions down at the airpods. I guess this time they're less opinions and suggestions and there'll be more commands coming from Mikel Arteta via whoever sort of sat up there with him. I'm intru- I mean, the fascinating thing, you know, the thing I'm most excited about is where is he going to sit? Will it be like the director's box? I seem to remember when Arsene Wenger was sat, uh, was, was banned from the touchline. I remember him sat behind me in the uh, Stamford Bridge 
media room because i mean i know that villa park like stamford bridge is one of those sort of weird old grounds where if you're in the wrong stand you're kind of gonna have to you can't basically get to the dressing room for half time no i don't think it will have any meaningful impact i think it's also i'm all for i love like you know manager yellow cards being treated in the same way as player yellow cards but come on let's like think about what we're giving those yellow cards for uh, by i mean like dissent disrespecting the fourth official um i'm sure there's been plenty of those that have been deservedly handed out to arteta and other coaches but come on like i i have the same thing with like taking your shirt off 97th minute winner to to pick up three points at kenilworth road it's not what's it like what what is the impact of this what's he doing to bring the game into disrepute to rile up the loot and crowd i don't think i think anyone there particularly like was offended it's, it, honestly, it is genuinely pathetic i i was convinced that he'd done something because I, I you can see the footage of him he's basically this is the start of it if you're watching this on youtube you see the picture this is the start of it he kind of starts by doing that and then he does a sort of about turn and just runs in a circle and then cuesta sort of drags him back because it looked like he was almost about to set off for the corner flag Mourinho style um but then carlos sort of grabbed him and they were just chatting away and that was it. I mean, it was genuinely nothing. Uh, and it's really hard. The whole conspiracy theories, I spoke about this on my show earlier. It's like, you don't want to believe in that sort of thing. And, you know, he's now got a target on his back from the referees and PGMO and uh, PGMOL and all that stuff because of what happened after Newcastle. But you look at that decision and it must have been the fourth official because I don't believe it was the referee. The referee wouldn't have been looking at that. The fourth official would have called the ref over because when he gives the yellow card, mm. the fourth official stood right next to him. So he would have... Then the fourth official would have been the guy who suggested that he needs a yellow card for this. And I just think it's really hard not to think that the fact it's Mikel Arteta has given has has led to this yellow card being awarded. I just think it's so ridiculous. I mean, you've got to it's like you're trying to stamp the fun out of a game. If you're gonna book people for celebrating like that a 97th minute winner, I mean what what is football coming to, honestly? It's there's so much wrong with a game at the moment, so many decisions happening, so many incidents being missed. And yet you're booking people for that. It's just sucking the fun out of football. It's so ridiculous. I completely agree. And just on this PGMOL thing, because I know you and I are of a similar view that, that we all sort of think the conspiracy theorist stuff is mad. Like, why would anyone have an agenda against one of the most viewed popular clubs in England? You know, imagine there is a shadowy cabal. That shadowy cabal will want the teams that drive worldwide attention to be successful, to be in title races. But then Mike Dean goes at the start of this season and talks about, you know, looking after his mates and all of mm. that. And you just think, you know, if if one of them thinks that, it's possible others do, and that they will all have been like, oh, you know, Arteta's got it in for us. We've got to look out for each other. You don't have to look out for each other. You have to look out for the game. And um, mm. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Dean once more is, uh, has really made it hard for, for sensible people to believe that yeah. referees it, are sensible. It's just one of those things that adds to the list of you just think that, I don't know, it's just, I, I bet that doesn't happen again to another manager. I yeah. bet you no one else cele- gets booked for celebrating like that. You know, if, yeah, if they, I mean, Deserby the other day went literally full length for the pitch to the away fans. Yes, the game had finished, but you can still yellow carded after a game's finished. You Klopp does it all the them. time. Klopp yeah, literally yeah. riles up the crowd because and, he knows, he like, it's just, and it's, it's, you go back. It's like that Martinelli sending off against Wolves a couple of years ago. It's like when is that? Ever, when have you ever seen that happen before or after? You think of Tommy Asu red card at Palace this season at the start of the season. Again, when is that? Ever, when have you ever seen it happen after? And it's just it adds to that list of only Arsenal. And again, you don't want to. Now, I don't want to go into the conspiracy theory stuff because I generally don't believe it. I still want to try and have trust that there is. You know, there is integrity in the game and all that, but it's very hard when you see decisions like that. You just think, what is going on? Everyone's against Arsenal. But but anyway, um, in terms of the match itself and what a belter this could be on Saturday, um, you know, Villa was so good. Did you watch the City game? Did you see much of it? I, I did. I watched sort of extended highlights, so to speak. Uh, 22 shots to two. Mm. I mean, that is a battering. That is a full-on Premier League club versus League Two type stats battering that unbelievable it's the most shots Guardiola's ever faced as a Manchester City manager 
exactly. I think before that there was 21 against Wolves a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, that's right. Much of the day, yeah. This is the most. This is the most a City team led by Guardiola's ever faced 22. And the, but more startling, startling was that they only had two shots themselves in the whole game. Only two shots. I mean that when you think of Unai Emery side, it's usually like cup <laughs> football, isn't it? It's so open the and it's end to end. You know, Watford, all that. You can see 30-odd shots, but you have 25 yourself at the other end. It's, this wasn't like that. This was just full-on domination, territorially and shots-wise. You know, they, just, they didn't give City a sniff. To an extent, I think some of that is a function of this City team being really off and really weird. There's so many... You know, you could run down that team now and say there are a lot of players. Stones, Rodri, Doku, obviously Haaland even though he's not around Kevin De Bruyne, there's so many players in that City team now that Guardiola doesn't have anyone that can do what they do. There is, like, Akanji's had a go at stepping up into midfield. He looks awful doing it. Um, Diaz has gone off the pace. Like, I, th- I think, obviously, from an Arsenal perspective, there's a natural inclination to go, oh, oh dear, you know, if they did that to, to City, they could do the same to Arsenal. They could, but, like, City were really off colour and have been for a few weeks. Arsenal have been, I don't know, I mean, would you say their best of the season so far of late? In an attacking sense. In an attacking sense, definitely. Yeah, if they don't don't sort of throw the ball into their net twice, uh, you would would think they will pose much more of a threat on on a Villa defence that it's it's giving up a lot of shots and a lot of XG and a lot of chances. And it helps them that they have... uh, you know, if you could go in, into, back into a time machine to the summer of 2020 um, and the moment that, that you have to make the decision, Burnt Leno and Thomas Partey or Emmy Martinez, do you think now you might make a slightly different decision? Um, yeah, I mean, they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world behind them. Good players across the rest of the squad. Great depth. It's going to be tough, but I, I wouldn't kind of... I wouldn't let that, uh, and I'm sure Arteta won't. I wouldn't let that that result they've just had cow uh, cow Arsenal at all. I think Arsenal are capable of going to Villa Park and ending this brilliant winning run. I, I'm so excited to be at Villa Park though. Five thirty under the lights. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at. And then we're time. going snobs after. Oh, you're not coming. I was going to say we go snobs after. No, the classic not. Birmingham nightclub. I'm not at this one. Uh, I've uh, my wife's working. It's been booked in for a while, so I've got the kids on Saturday, so I can't. I can't. I can't go. Um, team selection wise, going to be really interesting. Um, we saw. I mean, Bailey ran the show yesterday. Obviously, scored the goal, took a deflection, but he, he ran the show. He caused City all sorts of problems. Um, you know, I don't know. They're going. Would they play Diaby and Bailey together? I mean, Diaby was on the bench yesterday, wasn't he? And Bailey started. I don't know if he'll bring Diaby back into the team and how that. How that can't drop works. Bailey, can you? After that, no, no. But um, you know, they really look to attack Man City and exploit that, exploit that sort of space that was being left down the down the flanks. And obviously, with no Tommy, who would have played, I'm pretty sure would have played at left back in this game had he been fit. It's interesting here. Aaron asks, you know, given Villa's strength on their right hand side of Bailey or Diaby, who would you play as our left back against them, Kivy or or Zinchenko? What's your answer to that? Oh, I was hoping you'd go first. I think. Just about like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be one of those people that an hour before kickoff is like oh Teta's an idiot. I think just about I would go for Zinchenko. I agree. You've got to play your best game, not you know the best way to make sure Bailey and Diaby can't threaten you is to control possession really well, keep the ball in your third, and yeah, you know Gabriel is going to need to have an excellent game then. But yeah, play your way. Don't don't get cowed by um by Aston Villa you know come on Real, if Real Madrid or uh, Man City at the peak of their powers are cowing you and you're adjusting for them that's one thing but not the fourth best team in England Fifth, well you say that uh, but this is the hardest team. This, third. this is the hardest game in English football right now away at Villa Park I mean it is isn't it they've well, won 14 it, games 14 league games in a row there the last team to beat and will take points off them was Arsenal in that 4-2 Wes Inchenko played really well yeah well he didn't then in did the first half he was awful, Zinchenko, in the first half. <laughs> he gave away the goal that for the first oh, yeah. goal. He gave away the ball. Matty Cash <laughs> robbed him and set up um, Ollie Watkins. But he had a good second half, scored his first goal for the club in that. And he responded well in the second half. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this is the hardest game in English football right now. It, it, it is, isn't it? The, the stats 
and the data uh, I'd, st- I'd still have 14. more fear going to Anfield. You think? Yeah, I don't know. Fourteen league games in a row, fourteen league wins in a row. They've just absolutely hammered Manchester City. They're, they're, certainly, if it's not the hardest, I think they're in is, hot form, aren't they? It is right up there, uh, as as it. And um, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But I would, I'd agree. I would go Zinchenko. I think you, you. I like Kivior. I really like Kivior. In fact, uh, I did think he struggled a little bit against Luton. I think Luton targeted not just him, but mm. but um, Ben White as well. It was pretty obvious that when Arsenal fullbacks got the ball, that was a sort of trigger point for the Luton press, and they really pressed high and, and fast. And both of them struggled initially, but especially Kivior. I think the intensity got to him a little bit. It's the first time I've seen him struggle for a while, Kivior. But and I think that might happen again against Villa. But I just think Zinchenko, as you said, you, you've got to try and play your game as well and I think Arsenal I think Arsenal got gonna they're gonna have some real chances to get at Villa and create opportunities for Saka and Martinelli down the wing and I think Zinchenko might be pretty key to that by uh if he plays so um yeah I'd be I'd be going Zinchenko for this one because I think also I imagine probably we're going to see Jorginho in come into the middle this is what I, I wanted to say yeah yeah and so then you're going to sort of tighten things up in the middle a little bit and potentially have Declan Rice playing as the eight and Jorginho and Odegaard maybe. So Havertz probably might well be on the bench for this one. And um, so they might shore things up a little bit more that way to potentially add a little bit more protection to the defence for Zinchenko to be playing. Yeah, that was one thing I kind of wanted to to throw into the mix as well. Because I think Villa quite often do something quite weird on their, on their right flank where Matty Cash is especially I think against the big teams. I'm just checking what they did last night because uh, I didn't pay huge attention to the lineups. But yeah, you've got, in theory, they, what they might do, and I would I would guess if he's available, is you might see something like Konza at right back. Um, you might see Konza at right back, Cash at right midfield, and then Bailey is the nominal second striker in a 4-4-2, but he's, he's the right winger. And so then I think that's when I'm kind of looking at sort of Declan Rice in on the left side of midfield to to make sure that there's balance because you know Villa don't do that if they want to play Cash and Bailey as their right flank well Gabriel Martinelli's going to have just as much fun going forward as Bailey or Diaby would yeah it's got the ingredients to be an absolute belter I think the atmosphere is going to be huge it's going to be rocking down there it was last night and I think it's going to be again I mean for Villa you know they can move within one point of Arsenal if they win this game um and for Arsenal, I just think it would be another real big statement win if they could go there and beat a team who have been so strong at home, who have just hammered Manchester City. If Arsenal can go there and show they can stand up to that and get a win, I think it would be a really another really big moment for them in terms of their season. City, who are closer to Brighton from this table that we're looking at right now than they are to the top of the table. I know. I know. It's mad, isn't it? Four games without a win in the Premier League for, for City now. That is, that is, uh, this is what they do. They reel you in. They let you hope. Not good nah, enough. They let you. They let you hope. <laughs> what is the uh, tiny term in Futurama? You you raised my d- dreams and dashed them quite expertly, sir. Bravo. That's what they're doing. They're raising everyone else's dreams and they're going to crush them in March. Yep. Well, we only we found that out firsthand last season, didn't we? So I think Klopp <laughs> said yesterday in his press conference, someone asked him in, after the Sheffield United game, Do, "Are you are you ready to write Man City off now or something like that?" And he was just like. <laughs> Mad, Are you mad. <laughs> I wouldn't be like mad right to... man City off if they were twelve points behind Arsenal with three games to go. I think they'd no. find a way. Yeah, it's uh, you'd never write them off as well. But I think Liverpool. Are, uh, I mean, the, the league table is just really interesting. I think looking at that, it's so tight, and so many teams are going to take points off each other this season. And like Mikel said, yeah, last during his, I think it was the embargo section at last his last presser, didn't he? He said 96 to 100 points is the target. That wins you the title. I don't, you know, I mean, obviously that, I think that would definitely win you the title. So I can see why that in your head's the target, but I don't think, I don't think you're going to have to get anything like that this season. I think, I think if you get 90 points this season, I think you win the league. I really do. Just a sec. I'm going to work out the maths right here. Live maths. Well, I think if you, if Arsenal were to get 100 odd points, uh, I I mean, they're on course for 91 and, I actually think that would. I think the pace they're on now, if they could keep it up, would would probably get them there. I don't think anyone think, other 90, than ninety-one points. Ninety-one points wins you the title. I'm utterly convinced of that. I just can't see the way this season's shaping out and how di- shaping up and how how good a lot of the teams are and how strong they are, especially at home. I think it's yeah. I think everyone's going to be dropping points. I really do. I think ninety-one 
nailed on you win the title with 91 points this season, 100%. I mean, that's even even by City standards as well. If you could get to that nine, they, you know, they have to be 2.7 points per game to yeah. get to so nine. If City you know. win every one of their last remaining games now, what are they on? 15, say so what if they uh, won the next 23 games? Be, so that would be, they'd be on 99. 99. So 100 points wins you the title. That's probably, yeah. seems about right. Also, 100 points um, really like bolsters the Invincibles, doesn't it? If you comes, if someone at some stage in history matches City Centurions, then the Invincibles is just objectively clear as the greatest achievement. I would be willing to bet my mortgage that no one gets 100 points this season. So I think that Manchester City <laughs> record is, uh, is safe for now. All right, let's take a couple of questions, more questions before we wrap this up today um let me make sure i get the right ones here yeah there's one from vet para who uh, always sends in some good questions for the show he says hi charles and james what have you thought about odegaard playing a bit deeper and Havertz playing closer to gabby jesus i was worried initially that odegaard was too important for our counter press but Havertz's work rate has been really good mm. even when he was struggling earlier in the season i also think it makes more sense for the left eight to play further forward given zinchenko inverts do you think it is natural for playmakers to play deeper as they mature? Modric, as an example. I love this question because I asked Erdegaard about it last week, briefly. Um, I think he's actually quite enjoying it. It's more of the sort of heartbeat. I mean, he of course, he was the heartbeat of the team last season. But, you know, he's this sort of high-volume tempo setter, whereas last, team, last season he was a bit more final passy. Um, and I, I totally agree um, with everything. Val I mean, always, like you say, always such good questions from Valpara. Um, the other thing is that you've just seen little sprinklings, haven't you, of, of Jesus and Havertz working quite nicely together. I make that two-headed assists by Gabriel Jesus for, for Havertz to flick in at close range. So, I mean, I think Jesus has this sort of gravity, doesn't he? Defenders can't. You know, He is a two-defender job isn't he you know one-on-one -on -one, he's mm. going to beat any centre-back and that you know as more defenders are sucked to him with his close control with his aerial ability that that makes gaps for Havertz and Havertz is the sort of player that that exploits them in a way that, that just isn't natural to Erdegaard so yeah I like it I think it's it's starting to work really well and um I, I mean I said this to Erdegaard when he's playing that position it's a bit the sort of Kante vibe of he's got Rice on his left and Rice on his right it, it, it does make it a lot easier, doesn't it, when you've got Declan mm -hmm. Rice next to you? Yeah, I, th I thought... Um, it's no surprise to me that Arsenal have played their best football of the season in an attacking sense as Odegaard's finding his form again. He just makes Arsenal better. When Odegaard ticks, mm. he makes Arsenal better. And I think he's been really, really good in the last few games. I thought his cross for Declan Rice's goal was brilliant, given the circumstances, oh. given the pressure that Arsenal were under. And you know, he, ha he knew that was the last play of the game. He knew he had to get that right. And to produce a ball of that quality at that moment, I thought was really, really impressive. And um, yeah, I thought he was excellent. I thought Kai Havertz was by far and away his best performance. And I seem to be saying that each week at the moment, Havertz week, yeah. in recent weeks, like that's his best performance. That's his best performance. I thought he was excellent. Like obviously Declan Rice got the headlines deservedly. So after the game, David Rye got headlines for the wrong reason and all that. But Havertz, I thought was excellent. I really did think he was really, really impressive. And um, that little link up, I, I agree that, Jesus Havertz, you just seeing signs that that's beginning to work. And I think Jesus is just such a good player. And he was great. Jesus was great against Fulham, uh, Luton, sorry. And um, I think, think he made, he's one of those players, Jesus, who just makes everyone around him better mm. because he just does so much work for the team. And that's when everyone talks about his goal scoring and his finishing and all that. You know, every one of those Arsenal players, you ask them, how important is Jesus to your game? They would all just say, so so important and he just makes them better and yeah I'm liking the, the look of that sort of Havertz Jesus partnership having said all that I still think I'd probably have Havertz on the bench at Villa Park this weekend and I would go yeah. for a stronger slightly stronger midfield and bring Havertz on in in the uh in the second half but yeah really good signs for Havertz and um yeah that's great I think for Arsenal point of view because it's well it wasn't that long ago that we we're all sort of sitting here discussing it and thinking was it ever going to work we weren't seeing signs of it and now it's really started to to come to fruition I think it's four goals now isn't it before Christmas that's not too bad you know you continue that and you're up to about sort of eight nine ten at the end of the season you can't really ask for much more than that from your left eight can you better than a kick in the teeth um Absolutely. better than we than we feared Right, last one. David Smith says, extra time. It's your call when Newcastle offers 50, 60 million for Ramsdale in January. 
would you take it? I'll give my one first on that. I, <laughs> I would, I think. Having said, I wouldn't sell to Newcastle. I, it depends on the price. If if they offered sixty million, I would take it. If they offered like forty million, I would say no. Thirty million, I'd definitely say no. Um, I think sixty million. If you're making double your money on Aaron Ramsdale, given the situation, um, I think I think as a business you have to probably take that. 60 million um anything less than that i'm a little bit more like oh i don't know especially to newcastle but you know arsenal need to sell players they need to bring some money in i think if you double your money on ramsdale i think it's, i think that's hard to turn down i don't know what do you think because i'm with you on the not newcastle bit of it um but who else realistically you're gonna you're gonna have to sell ramsdale to that's a, the thing to isn't a, it yeah a rival, aren't you? You just like you're Can not going to sell, sell him to... Them to a more incompetent rival. Like if Man United no, or United. Chelsea come calling, yeah, I'll, I'll pack him up for you, mate. Less money because you know I would worry about. You know, I think Nick Pope's a really good shot stopper, but I, I think Ramsdale is a better package than Nick Pope, and I just would not want to be in the business of strengthening my rivals if I could help it. I know you're going to have to spend a decent wedge of that on a good quality backup. No, I'm just going to try and hold firm. I mean, this is also assuming hold, that Ramsdale then doesn't say, I want out. Hold firm hold, for what, though? Uh, just club. wait out. Even, yeah, no, summer. Just wait till then. Even if it's less money, actually. I oh, believe that just seems stupid, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yes. Okay, then. Yes, I, I at sixty million. If let me add another caveat. If my replacement, and I can get a good quality replacement, I don't want someone that you know. If David Raya goes down injured, the Emirates is holding its breath. Yeah. No, I agree. You with know, that. A, a solid veteran. You know, a an Arsenal equivalent of Stefan Ortega. If I can get that for under twenty. And I get sixty million for Ramsdale, then you've got yourself a deal. But I would I also admit, actually, I would not do I that have, deal till January thirty first at eleven fifty eight. I have to admit, I've just I've reread this question, and my answer, I wasn't thinking about January. Now <laughs> you've been talking about it's it, the January realized, bit of it. Yeah. I've realised it's a January bit, and um, that I kind of glossed over that. Even if I said it out loud, I wasn't really paying attention to that January bit. That might change my thinking a little bit. I don't. I've, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doubting myself now. I'm not sure you should be selling anyone. I don't think Arsenal are in a position to sell anyone in January. I think you win this. Try you try and win this title and win the Prem. Yeah, I'm changing my mind. I'm saying no. Oh, well, see, I've come round to yes. Uh, as long as I can get a replacement, and as long as I can. Well, yeah, really... yeah. If you, if you get a good replacement, if you're guaranteed to get a good replacement, then maybe. But I think, yeah, I don't. I don't want to be signing a. I don't know. I'm not even going to throw a name out there, but yeah, I, you'd have to have a very capable replacement for fear of David Rye getting injured because you, yeah, you don't want to suddenly have Alex Renison in goal for the second half of the season um, when you're trying to win the title and win the win the Champions League. I think yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think Arsenal will happen. Position. By the way, no, I don't, I don't think Arsenal are in a position to let anyone go in January. I think the squad is. I think the squad's good, but I still don't think they're in a position to let anyone go. I think if you really want to win the title or you want to try and win the Champions League, you just keep everyone together, even if it leaves an unhappy Ramsdale for five months or four months, whatever it is. Um, I think you got to you got to keep him, and then you you'll sit down and sort the situation out in the summer. I think there's too much at stake for Arsenal. There's too much on the line. There's two big trophies on the line, and uh, yeah, I think that's that would be my uh, that would be my personal view of it. Having actually carefully read the the question. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I can I can sort of now speak from experience a little bit. Football Manager Shrewsbury Town season two. I'm incredibly proud of what we're doing. We're we're coming up to January and it is, if I must be right, December the 7th, 2024. Uh, and Joe Hart is my number one back at Shoesbury Town. An emotional return for him. Mark Gillespie, who the name might ring a bell for some of our viewers. He's sort of around the fringes of the Newcastle squad. He's my number two. I didn't sign him as a number two. He's antsy. He wants to leave. Guess what? He's going nowhere. I'm not trying to replace him in January. So I guess I'm a hypocrite because I'd do it with Ramsdale, but I wouldn't do it with Mark Gillespie. You got to be tough as a manager. You got to be tough, too. Even if it annoys the players, you got to be tough. Cool. All right. I think that's it. 
for today, mate. We're over the hour mark, as always. So thank you very much. Where are you? What's your plan? Oh, you're going to Villa Park, aren't you? Villa Park, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very, very jealous. That's going to be one hell of a game. I'm very, very jealous. (sighs) One of the best atmospheres in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, it was special. It sounded special against City. And it will definitely be it will definitely be loud. That old classic cliche of quiet in the crowd, Arsenal, get in there early goal, quiet in the crowd, get control of that game. And uh yeah, judging by the game against Lugan, try not give away a set piece. Right. Have a good one, mate. Enjoy, safe journey and all that. Yeah, I'll see you next week. Post your PSV. Indeed, yeah. Oh God, Champions League. That'll gonna be an interesting one. Yeah. What are they gonna play in that one? So yeah, I imagine we'll probably get back together on is that Tuesday or Wednesday? It's Tuesday, That's isn't it? It's a Tuesday game, so we might yeah. we might have to do early Wednesday, but we'll 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 save the viewers our scheduling chat. Yeah, it'll be at some point next week anyway. All right, mate, have a good one. I'll speak to you soon. Speak soon. Bye bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.